Well, this morning is a significant day. We have the opportunity to gather as a church family, a spiritual family, and really come together and just kind of love on one another and really build a sense of fellowship and unity within God's church as we come and we join ourselves around the Lord's table. And a little later on, we're going to have the opportunity to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. We're going to take the cup and we're going to take the bread and we're going to remember what it is that Jesus Christ did for us at Calvary. But I always like to say this, I always want to start by reminding us of something very important. We do not come this morning to memorialize a dead man. That is not what we are here to do today. We have come this morning to gather around and to remember what our living Savior Jesus Christ did for us when He hung and He died on the cross and what He has done for us through the resurrection from the grave. So we have the opportunity to meet this morning with a living Savior at the Lord's table and really allow Him to work in our hearts and our lives. But in order for that to happen, there's going to have to be some self-examination. Isn't that true? Yes, we're going to have to take a deep look into our hearts and our lives, and we're going to have to ask ourselves some challenging questions this morning as we look at our life. The first question we are going to have to ask ourselves today is this, do I truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have I trusted Him as my Lord and Savior? That is the beginning point. If we don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Lord's Supper has very little significance to us. Isn't that so true? Yes. It will have no meaning at all. We'll just see it as simply going through a religious ritual in our lives. But it's so much more than that for the believer as we come and think about the fact of what the cup and the bread represents in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. If we are truly believers this morning, it is also the time for us to examine our own lives, to examine our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to caution us here because oftentimes when it comes to us looking into our own hearts and lives, what we love to do is compare ourselves with everyone else. Isn't that true? Well, I'm doing so much better than sister and brother so-and-so. Amen? Amen? Don't we have a tendency to want to do that at times in our life and kind of say, well, you know, if they can take the Lord's Supper, well, surely I can take the Lord's Supper because I know what's happening in their life. Well, can I tell you something this morning? Receiving the Lord's Supper is not about examining anyone else's life. It's about us examining our own life. It's about us looking into our hearts and our lives and asking ourselves the challenging question, am I here this morning receiving the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? Not that any of us can ever be worthy of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't. But am I living in such a way that I am bringing honor and glory to God's name? And I will tell you this morning, if you're not living in that way, you are inviting judgment upon yourself when you take the Lord's Supper and you're not living right with God. That's the truth. Do you remember what it said or what Paul wrote to the church at 1 Corinthians? He said, you're you're inviting. Some of you have grown sick and you have fallen asleep. Now, they weren't tired. They were dead is what had happened. They had died. God had disciplined them to the point of death because they were receiving the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way manner. So it's always a time for us to step back and ask ourselves the tough question. If I may this morning, I can just say this as well, all right? 
It's also an opportunity to examine to see if we're right with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to tell you it's a big one. It's an important one. Because if I'm holding something in my heart against another brother or sister in Christ, I'm telling you we're in trouble if we come together and receive the Lord's Supper in that manner. You know, sometimes I think when we come to this time in a worship service, we've kind of just kind of sloughed off the significance, the meaning of what is taking place. But it is an honest opportunity for each one of us to examine our hearts and our lives to see where we are in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're not right with Him, then we need to take a step back and we need to do one or two things. We need to use the opportunity this morning to get our hearts and lives right with God. Or we need to step away and say, until I can get this matter tended to, I really don't need to take the Lord's Supper today. Because I'm realizing it's not going to honor and glorify the Lord. So I hope that each one of us will take that opportunity to really examine our lives this morning to see where we are in relationship with to the Lord Jesus Christ as well as in relationship to other brothers and sisters in Christ and I pray as we look into our hearts and our lives that we will examine carefully to see if we're receiving the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner all right so that's all I'm going to say about that this morning if you have your Bibles open them to John the first chapter John chapter 1 we're going to turn our focus our attention to there And this morning, what I want us to do in the time we have together, I want us to focus our attention on this astounding declaration that John the Baptist makes about Jesus Christ. If you have been with us on Sunday mornings, we have been walking through the Gospel of John. Now remember, there is only one Gospel, four different accounts, right? We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account of the Gospel. Each one of those shared from a different perspective, highlighting different things that happened in the life of Jesus Christ. But it's not many different Gospels. It is one Gospel message. Paul makes that very clear to us in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, when he said, I brought to you the message of first importance, that Jesus Christ came, that He willingly went to the cross, He hung there, He died, and He rose on the third day for the forgiveness of sin. And the clear teaching of God's Word is, anyone who is willing to turn to Jesus Christ in faith and call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that true? Yeah, we see that very clearly in Scripture. But in this passage this morning, we are going to have this profound declaration that John the Baptist is going to make about Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to this passage of Scripture. We're going to begin reading in verse 29, John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, did you hear that? Did you hear this great declaration that John the Baptist makes about Jesus Christ? He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because He was before me. 
I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. And Father, I thank you for this great declaration of John the Baptist concerning Jesus Christ. And as we closely examine that declaration this morning, I pray that you would reveal the truth of God's word unto us, that you would give us open hearts, open ears, open minds to receive what it is that you would want us to receive today. I also pray, Lord, that we would not simply be hearers of your word, but that we would also be doers of your word, that we would take what we learn here today and apply it to our lives, that we might grow into a a closer and a deeper relationship with you. More than anything else this morning, I pray that we would see the Lamb of God high and lifted up, that we would behold Him for who He truly is, that He indeed is worthy of our worship and our praise. All glory, honor, and power is due Him. Lord, that is the prayer of my heart this morning, that people would not hear what I have to say, but that they would hear the truth of Your Word and that your spirit would fall upon us this morning, and as a result of that, that our lives would be radically changed. There would be a radical abandonment to you, Lord, in our lives. Lord, you guide us and direct us now. You be honored and glorified. I pray all of this in the powerful and the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So I want us to approach this text. You know, this week as I was looking at this text in my office, I was thinking to myself, wow, there are so many different directions that you could really approach this text from today. If you heard as I read this passage of Scripture a few moments ago, we have John's baptism being compared to Jesus' baptism. In another place, John makes this great statement, he who who was born after me actually ranks before me. I thought about all of that, and I was like, my goodness, you could spend a lot of days just thinking and preaching and contemplating those statements that John, the gospel writer, made in this passage of Scripture. But really what I want us to focus on more than anything else this morning is this great declaration, this astounding declaration that John the Baptist makes about Jesus Christ. We need to understand something. As this story unfolds in front of us, John has never seen Jesus Christ before, most likely. But as Jesus Christ approaches him in the wilderness, maybe they saw one another as children growing up. But at least at this point in time, he hasn't really seen Jesus Christ, and he doesn't know who Jesus Christ is, but he approaches John to be baptized. And as he approaches John to be baptized, John makes this astounding declaration about Jesus Christ. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I want you to think about that for a moment. What an amazing 
declaration. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, when I first read that, the first question that came to my mind was this. Why in the world would John make such an astounding declaration about Jesus Christ? Well, in order to answer that question, we really need to go back to the Old Testament because this statement is rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. We need to take a journey through time back to the time where the children of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. If you remember that story, God had sent Moses to be his mouthpiece to Pharaoh. The message was clear. God told Pharaoh, you need to set my people free. And we know what happens in the story. Pharaoh hardens his heart against God. He refuses to heed the words of God. And as a result of that, God's judgment falls upon Pharaoh and the children are the people of Egypt. And God sends one plague after another plague onto this nation. Ten plagues in all. The final plague is the death of the firstborn. The death angel would pass over the nation of Egypt and he would strike down the firstborn of every living creature in Egypt. However, out of God's grace, mercy, and love, He provides a provision for the children of Israel. Do you know what God tells the children of Israel? He says, go out to your flock, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to choose a lamb that is without spot or blemish. I want you to take that lamb on the tenth day of the month, and for four days, I want you to watch the lamb to see if he meets the requirements that I have laid out. And then at twilight on the fourth day, I want you to take that lamb and I want you to slay it. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to apply it to the doorpost of your home. And when the death angel comes, if the blood of the lamb is applied to the doorpost of your home, the angel will simply pass over at that time. That is what God told the children of Israel. Now, let's fast forward to the New Testament because in the New Testament we learn a very important truth about this. This is what we learn in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says that everything in the Old Testament is simply a shadow of that which is to come. We've all seen a shadow, right? When we look at a shadow, it's unclear. We may be able to make out a shape or a design or something, but we cannot clearly tell what it is. So it's as though the writer of Hebrews is saying this, everything in the Old Testament is preparing the stage for the coming of the Messiah. It's pointing to Jesus Christ, and when the New Testament opens, wham, right there, Jesus Christ appears, and we have this great declaration from John the Baptist about Jesus Christ where he says, 
says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Everything that was unclear has now become very clear to those who were anticipating, those who were waiting for the coming Messiah of Je- I mean the coming Messiah who would be Jesus Christ, the Lamb who would take away the sins of the world. So when we use that phrase, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, what does that mean? What exactly are we saying today when we make the statement that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God? Well, I think that is answered for us in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles or your devices, I would ask that you quickly turn them over to 1 Peter, 1 Peter, the first chapter. And I want you to listen to what is written there. This is Peter writing to a group of Jews who are scattered throughout the known world. Beginning in verse 13, he calls them to be holy. Now, that's an important word for us. There is a very important truth in this call to be holy. When we are holy, the word holy means to be set apart. It carries the idea of being set apart from something and be set apart to something. Now, listen to me very carefully. Look at me right here. If you are a believer this morning, you have been set apart. You have been set apart from the world, and you have been set apart unto God Himself through Christ Jesus. There ought to be something different about our lives. I think one of the greatest struggles with Christianity in America today is you can't really tell the difference between those who claim to know Jesus Christ and those who are lost. There is no difference. We need to understand something very clearly this morning as God's people. We will never ever reach the world by being like the world. We're never called to be like the world. As a matter of fact, we're called to live in the world, but not of the world. That's what Scripture very much calls calls for us to do. When people look at us, they should see something different about us. I'm not talking that they should see religiosity. They shouldn't see sanctimonious. That's not what I'm saying. But when they look at our lives, they should see something different about us. We have been set apart. We are not like the world. We have been set apart unto God. And then this is what Peter is going to remind them of. As he's calling them to be set apart, he's going to remind them of something very significant. You know what he's going to turn their attention to? He's going to turn their attention to what Jesus Christ did for them. I want you to listen to what he writes in this passage of Scripture. Listen to what he says in verse 16, chapter 1 of the book of Peter. 1 Peter, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ." like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in 
God. Can I ask you a question this morning? Where is your hope today? Where is your hope? Is your hope in yourself? Is your hope in your job? Is your hope in your family? Is your hope in your ability to overcome the things of the world? Or is your hope in Jesus Christ? Now let me say something to you very clearly this morning. If your hope is in anything else besides Jesus Christ, I will tell you today, it is utterly futile. In other words, it is worthless. Did you hear what he said here in this passage of Scripture? He said, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. We need to remind ourselves this morning, followers of Jesus Christ, that we have been bought and paid for with a price. Now let me share with you what that exactly means today. Because you and I were bought and paid for with the price, your life and my life is not our own. It's no longer about what I want or don't want. It's now about Jesus Christ who lives in me, and it's all about what He wants and don't want in my life. It's about Him being Lord of my life. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I want. I think that we are leaving that out of what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ today. We have made Christianity out to be a narcissistic religion where Christianity is all about me and what I want. It is not about you, it is not about me, and it's not about what we want. It's all about Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who sits on the throne, the one who hung and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. It's not about us. It's all about Him. Do you see what I'm saying? Now that does good. You know why, you know why that's so great? That does wonders to our life when we realize it's not really about me because then I'm, I'm able to, to lay aside all of my disappointments because it's not about me, it's all about Him. I'm, a, I'm able to lay aside all of my wrong attitudes because it's not about me, it's all about Him. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm able to put all of that to the side so that I can live a life in such a way to bring honor and glory to the Lord. That is what God desires of our life more than anything else in this world. God desires that we would live a life that is God-honoring, God-pleasing to Him. And the question we must ask ourselves today, am I living in that way? Am I living in that way? It's like I told you all that one Sunday morning when we were crucified with Christ. That means that all of our hurt feelings were crucified along with that. You get that, right? 
because it's no longer about you and it's no longer about me. It's all about the Lamb of God who sits on the throne. Isn't it so easy at times in our life to take our eyes off of Jesus Christ? You know what happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus Christ? You know the first place they turn? They turn to us. Do you know what the single greatest giant that you will have to slay every day will be? The single greatest giant you will have to slay each day of your life is self. Self. That is the big giant. We know that, right? Well, if we don't know it, we should know it. Because we've been bought and paid for with a price and our life is not our own. Did you hear what he said about Jesus Christ in this passage of Scripture as the Lamb of God? He makes three statements. First, he said Jesus was chosen. Did you hear that? Before the very foundations of the world, Jesus Christ was chosen to be the Lamb who was slain on our behalf. Jesus Christ willingly gave up his life for our life. He willingly went to a cruel cross. He hung there and he died to pay the penalty for our sin. Before the very foundations of the world, Jesus Christ was chosen by God to be our sacrifice. Now, some of you may think to yourself, oh my goodness, what kind of God would do that? How cruel is that? No, that is not cruel. That is grace. That is grace. And the reason that is grace is none of us could ever make ourselves right with God. We are not good. Our hearts are utterly filled with evil. And because our hearts are utterly filled with evil, we can't make ourselves right with God. We all have the same exact problem in life. And our problem is this. We are sinners. We are sinners. But God, out of His mercy and His grace, even though in His foreknowledge He knew one day that we would sin against Him, He still provides a way for us to be brought back into right relationship with Him. He chooses His Son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice on our behalf. Think about that for a moment. I don't know about you, that, that, that literally blows my mind that there is a God who would love me that much that He would offer Himself up for me on my behalf. You see, when we look at the death of Jesus Christ, from a human perspective, Jesus was cruelly murdered. But from a divine perspective, Jesus laid down His life for our lives. He was chosen before the very foundations of the world. Second, this passage of Scripture says He was slain. You remember I shared with you the story earlier about the Passover? And they were to choose the lamb. Do you remember that? And they were to watch the lamb for four days, and then what would happen? On the fourth day, at twilight, they slayed the lamb. They killed the lamb. And they took the blood of Jesus Christ, I mean, sorry, the blood of the lamb, and they applied it to the doorpost. Now think with me for a moment. That is a shadow of that which was to come. Jesus Christ was the Lamb who was slain on our behalf. Now listen, when we come to Jesus Christ in faith, the blood of the Lamb is applied to our lives. 
You see what Jesus Christ did through, through his sacrifice at the cross could not be accomplished through all of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. The Old Testament sacrifices simply covered over the sins of the people. But Jesus Christ's sacrifice in his blood applied to our life has the ability to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. All of our unrighteousness. One of the great truths of the Bible is this. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus the Lord. The word condemnation is a legal term. It means to be declared guilty. At one point in time, every one of us was declared guilty in God because of the sins that we had committed in our life. But in Christ Jesus, when the blood has been applied to our life, our conscience has been cleansed, and now God declares us innocent, no longer guilty. Now, I don't know about you. I'm grateful for that. Let me share something else with you. Knowing the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to my life helps me to sleep well at night. You know why? Because my conscience is cleansed. I don't have any questions about the future. I don't need to worry about what happens if I don't wake up in the morning. I'm going to be in glory with the Heavenly Father in the presence of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything that I've ever done to deserve anything that God has done for me, but because the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to my life. If Jesus Christ is not slain at Calvary, we are still under the penalty of sin in our lives. We are still condemned. We are guilty. But I want you to notice a third thing about this. A third thing that Peter said in this passage of Scripture about Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God. He said He was perfect. He was without spot or blemish is what it said. The law demanded a perfect sacrifice. What the sacrifices of animals could never accomplish in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ accomplished through His once-for-all perfect sacrifice. As I said earlier, He cleansed us from our sins. But I want you to hear me clearly say this this morning. If Jesus Christ is not perfect, he is not able to meet the just demands of the law. The law demanded a perfect once-for-all sacrifice. And because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life while He was here on earth, He was able to offer Himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin for you and I. Jesus was chosen, Jesus was slain, and Jesus Christ was the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I like what one man said this morning. He said the entire Bible can be summed up in the phrase, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sins of the world. He said the Bible opens asking the question, where is the Lamb? The Gospels are written and it answers the question that the Son of God has come. Behold the Lamb of God. And if you walk in faith with Jesus Christ today, you and I sing with the heavenly choir, Worthy is the Lamb of God. Glory, honor, and praise to Him and Him alone because He is the one, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. That is who He is. This morning I would ask you a very important question today. A question I would ask you this morning is this. Have you looked to the cross of Jesus Christ and beheld the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and the way your word speaks to our hearts today. Father, I'm so very grateful that Jesus Christ indeed was the Lamb of God, the one who came to take away the sins of the world. Father, my prayer is this morning, if there are people here today who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day that they would turn to you in faith, recognizing, Lord, that it is only faith in you that can make them right with God. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have your way in our hearts and our lives this morning as we continue this time of worship. You work in your perfect way in our hearts and our lives, to your honor and to your glory. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.